What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another fine episode of Live from Nerdville. Today we are broadcasting from New York City and Nashville, Tennessee. And my lovely guests are Grammy-nominated Larkin Poe, Rebecca to my left, and Megan to my right. Thank you, ladies, for being here. Oh, thanks for having yeah. us, Joe. You know, I mean, you, you may want to change publicists after this, you know, because it's like, oh, God, 20, 2021, it's like... We got it. We got it. We got to be interviewed by Bonamassa. Jeez, like we're 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 at a low point. And <laughs> the plane is crashing. Exit the vehicle through the yeah. wind. Fire Morty. You know, whatever. Anyway, how you guys been? You know, we've been pretty good. I feel like it was an unexpected year for every musician on planet Earth, and and not just musicians, everybody. But uh, all things considered, we are alive and breathing, and. Still making music so i think it's we don't have too much to complain yeah. about really yeah no no yeah ex exactly you know i mean we're all fortunate that that we can weather the storm and we and we all know people that that are in much more dire predicaments than we are you know but that's a testament to your hard work and and fortitude how how deep into the year were you touring before everybody got sent home or did you even start we had literally played two gigs. We had flown to India to the uh, the Blues Fest out there in Mumbai. And then we did a music cruise. And we were about to start. Yeah. We were like one day, actually 24 hours from the first show of the start of the touring season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. We ended up we ended up getting 19 shows in. And ah. Yeah, we between, well, 18 and a half, because the live stream in front of Cardboard Cutouts counts as a half a show, but, <laughs> but awesome. eight, 18 in front of humans, and um, I remember really, like, just it, it really collapsing quickly, because yeah. our last show technically was March 12th in Milwaukee, and it was as normal as can be. We show up to Green Bay on March 13th. I go out for a nice sushi dinner, as you would in Green Bay. Your best sushi in the world in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And and the governor cancels us on the on the on the 14th, and it was over. And that's it. That's and then I was like, okay, I'm I'm done. My career is over. Going home. As in, but I I think. What really surprised me about the whole thing was that I really held on hope way past when it was appropriate. Like, right. as hearing about shows getting canceled and but realizing, like, but, not, but not ours. But not us. Our shows aren't going to get affected. Like, there was this weird, like, right. association. association from reality there for a bit. So then when it actually did start happening, it was a really weird, yeah, come to Jesus. Because, I mean, you, I love your slogan, which it's always on tour, always on the road. Always on the and road, yeah. For us, it was it's it's been similar for the last 10, 15 years. So a lot of a lot of uh, internal conflict, maybe some you know some some therapy here at the house when you have to just stay in one place for a little while. Yeah, and you know one of the things I mean, how do you deal with that? Because you guys have been so active at least you know since two thousand five or two thousand four because you guys had a, a trio with your sister Jessica and there was a, like a bluegrass outfit and then and then in two thousand nine it became Lark and Poe. I mean like so you've been for the last let's just say twelve, thirteen years really absolutely going you know, going for it and working almost every day on it and then boom the brick wall. I mean it, does the depression did you get the did you get the no tour depression like I did? Like 
like smoke too many cigars because I figure you guys are both cigar smokers like myself and 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 you know just sit out there stare at the sun and 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 you know and think about an antique store in Wyoming did any of that happen I mean not specifically the antique store in Wyoming but I could really see you sliding in there just great with your cigars but Absolutely. I mean certainly some some depressive moments where the existential of you know who am I if not if I'm not touring or if I'm not playing shows and so used to the bulk of your day being consumed with the act of touring that it really was, it was, it's been kind of hard to overcome. And now I feel too comfortable. Yeah. We uh, were both very goal oriented people. So I think we had to just immediately start like putting things on the calendar, putting live streams on the calendar. And, and then, you know, we plan making the second album. So I think as long as we kind of like kept ourselves busy, like we were okay. It helped. Yeah. and And it does help when you're busy. It's just not the kind of busy you want to be, you know, because, you know, I've, I've seen you guys live a bunch of times and, and, and you're a you're, you're a live act, you know, that that relies on on like we all do that that energy that comes back from the crowd. You know, the live streams are great because it keeps you connected with your audience. Yeah, but then when yeah. when 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 the song ends, it is crickets and you're like, man, I've stiffed before, but this is this is a tough crowd. I mean, like, how, how do you? I mean, how do you? How do you keep that energy up? Because you guys are great at it. Oh, thanks. I find it very different based on where you are because we've gotten really comfortable. I mean, luckily we share this the bond together as sisters that we're able to feel a lot more comfortable when we're in our house or something, and you can just be a lot more accessible and and you can have a moment of intimacy with people that I think is really cool when you're live streaming from like your home. But we went and right. did a couple live streams in venues and I I swear to you I had you couldn't tell it from the outside but inside it was like a a cataclysmic meltdown of nerves because I felt I felt so nervous and I'm not used to feeling nervous when we perform and uh, and it's really hard to overcome so I think it really depends on the environment um I love I've I've gotten to where I love live streaming just in a really casual sit down acoustic kind of way but I feel like uh, trying to do a real show in the absence of people, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. It doesn't because what a lot of, what a lot of people don't realize is that the audience is a, a significant percentage of the entirety of the experience. You know, I mean, we all want to recreate that Frampton comes alive, you know, audience participation moment, you know. Tell me about the orchestra, guys. Tell me about, because I just saw you guys did a thing with the, with the orchestra and, and, and I was like, you beat me to it because I was supposed to be with the Colorado Symphony last summer and we were going to do a DVD and we have arrangements and I have never played with an orchestra before. And I was like, I was like, I'm just curious, just as just the three of us talking about, what was that experience like, you know, going from, you know, a five piece band to like a 72 piece, you know, band? It was amazing. Um, we actually didn't hear the arrangements until we got there. Interestingly, because it was a it was a proper collaboration with the uh, the New Deco Ensemble down in Miami, and they're super cool. They're um they're somewhat alternative in that they have you know a drummer and you know a synth player, and so and, and even a couple electric guitar players. Like so, they can kind of mix and match their right. players just on who they're supporting. And in that respect, it was really mind blowing to get down there and um, and for the first rehearsal, hear everything just blown to smithereens of any expectation you had or hopes and dreams. And um, 
leaving that first rehearsal and then coming back to a hotel, they sent us the board mixes. Because when you're on stage, of course, you know, we're pumping our little guitars. And so right. we could other stuff that was going on. But I think that we were kind of dominating the, uh, the sound palette on the stage. But uh, being able to listen to those board mixes and hear the arrangements and how all the different string, you know, players are picking up Megan's lap steel lines. Mm. And right. it was really humbling. It, it was very exciting. Megan, I'm kind of hogging. What was your reaction, my love? Oh, <laughs> Similar, similar reaction, but I tell you what, those those players, they're so talented, and they also are so very respectful of the music, too. I feel like they're they're super careful with the way that they interpret as well, um, so I, I love I love what those guys do. Tell me what it was like, though, um, hearing those board tapes, and did it, did it, did it kind of change your thinking, like moving forward, going, hey, you know, if we leave a little room and these new songs are writing, you, we can we can get the old string guys from Miami, you know? Oh, heck you yeah. Know, was it was it was it kind of a game changer for you guys just just as as creative people and moving forward? Yeah, I think I, I could absolutely envision instances in which at some point in the career it'd be really fun to take advantage of that sensibility because I don't think it would work for every artist but especially if you were writing with that intent mm -hmm. you could you could really have some magical moments I mean there's an epicness to it that just can't be recreated it's true it's true um and having grown up in the classical world because that was our original introduction to music when we were three and four years old was um, playing violin and piano and so to be on the other side of kind of that, that musical divide and, and seeing a weird reflection of where you've been before. Because we did play in like in symphonies as, yeah. as young people. So to come back to it. <laughs> as very strange. As wizened, you know, <laughs> broken down bluegrass blues musicians. But also it's so funny because at this point I'm turning 30 in just a couple of days. And um, don't rub it in, you know. Is trying to milk every last bit of my my twenty nines out of here. Really, really. Oh my goodness. Wow. But uh, I realized just enough anarchy in me that I didn't. I didn't. As much as I really, I loved everyone in in the orchestra and the conductor. I found that I struggled with the idea of there being a conductor because all the musicians are so respectful and they work as a team and they're all glued on the conductor. And so I would be like turning around and talking to the different musicians like, hey, like maybe we could try this and that. And the conductor's like just behind me looking at me like, are you crazy, girl? Like you need to direct this back to me. And so my inner punk is like, no, hell no. Right. You're trying to, you're, you're, you're trying to micromanage my bassoon player, you know? <laughs> Poor bassoonist. Leave the xylophone. So, so tell me about it. Okay, like your background, you know, because I was doing a bunch of reading on you guys today. And, you know, both of you guys like classical piano. Violin. Now, when you when you're when you're brought up with that discipline, okay, that is that is a much different discipline than what you do for your day jobs now. Meaning, you're 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 natural improvisers. You're 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 listening to everybody reacting. Classical music is whatever's on that page. You that's it. And if it's a clam, you stick the landing. You have no say in it. You know. So, did you did you find that? you would become rusty on that discipline of, of it's got to be this way and we're you know trying to move the trying to move the big ship or or did you kind of just like fall back into it and go like, yeah this is what we used to do as, as kids 
That's a really good question. I haven't thought about it in the reverse. I'm very aware of the, uh, and it's, I feel like even with it being at this point, 20 years in the past, the transition from classical, from, from, you know, notation and sheet music into improvising, that was an incredibly uncomfortable experience. There I remember a, yeah, a lot to embrace to yeah. um, get used to the idea of playing something off the cuff. It was very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. In a way that it's almost hard to describe because it just wasn't part of the way that you viewed music. Like you listened to records and you could hear that people were playing things necessarily not the same each time. And, you know, you go to a show and you could experience it. But trying to, to bring that into our lives, it's been a process of years um, right. to be able to, yeah, to think in those terms, to think in terms of spontaneity and and also the uniqueness of, of artistic expression that even if something is wrong, like if you listen to, you know, a vocalist like a Tom Waits or somebody and he's not singing like a proper vocalist should sing with the proper breath support. and But right. there's that's really unique and that's actually it carries its own unique weight and so I think leaning into that as we've gotten older has been a huge process going back with the I symphony, think it was probably a little bit weird because we're yeah. not used to having like oh once you start the song you have you must stay correct to the measures of the song <laughs> yes one of yeah. my favorite parts which you'll get a kick out of this we um we sent them live versions to transcribe the arrangements to so we had like one of our live streams earlier this year, the year at w the show at which I was like in internally freaking out and I'd forgotten lyrics in this one portion of a song. And so we extended the arrangement like an extra random three odd bars as I tried to remember what the lyrics that I had written for the song were and then we could carry on. So we get up on stage with the symphony and are performing the song and we hit that point in which I had initially screwed up. And they've written it beautifully into the sheet music and everyone is acknowledging that, you know, incorrect three bars of time. And they wrote in the mistake. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it, it's amazing what happens. Like when I was a kid, I got to sit in with John Lee Hooker at the Great American Music Hall in, in uh, San Francisco. And um, it was part of this N NBC television show that I was on with. It was called Real Life with Jane Paul. And they were filming me and John and everything. At that point, I was... I was 12 bar Joe, okay? And that was it. I, I knew 12 bar blues. John Lee Hooker did not, it, it, he did not adhere to those 12 bars. He started when he felt it, and he switched to the four when he felt it, and he switched back to the one when he felt it. And it, to write it out, it would, it would make no sense to a trained musician. On stage, you felt every ebb and flow, and that was the first time I ever, I ever experienced that, and Glenn Hughes does that sometimes, where he just starts verses at a certain bar. He feels it, and what do you think is more important? Do you think it's where you feel it, or to keep it to keep it to where you know history will judge you kindly about your bar selection? <laughs> Man, you know. I'm gonna have that. I feel like that should remain an audible. Like, mm -hmm. I I think where you feel it personally. Um, I think that that's coming from somebody who I could read. I could read sheet music like on a piano now, but I I couldn't read sheet music on my lap steel. Right. I, so I think in unbraiding some of that classical training, I try. I think I probably went to the extreme, maybe. I think I would like to think that I was a person who was like, oh, just feel it in your gut, man. And like, right. 
spirit moves you, feel it. But I think I'm too much of a control freak that I'm probably like, and here we will go. Three, two, one, kick it off. Like I would, I would probably lean more that direction naturally. You know, Megan, I, I was, you know, your lap steel playing is very impressive to me. Okay, because my 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 slide guys are are my, my influences are Ry Cooter, David Lindley, um, and and a little bit of um, a guy named Kevin Bright who lives in Toronto, Sonny Landreth as well. Those are those are those are those are the people that influenced me. When I first heard you play, I was so impressed about your feel and your timing and intonation. And one of the things that keeps me from playing slide regularly is what I feel is my lack of intonation. Because when I hear it back, it sounds like that scene in Jaws where Quint takes his fingernails and runs it down the chalkboard to get everybody's attention. How did you, how did you kind of master all of those three? Because, because I, the intonation for me with slide is really, really critical and the hardest part. You know, and then the feel and then to get it in tune is very impressive. Thank you so much. One, I yes, the intonation is the bane in my existence, especially like on stage when um, like a lot of times we're on in ears and that can that messes sometimes with my intonation. So I, I appreciate the listening back and being like, where am I? <laughs> so mm -hmm. I feel that so much. Um, yeah, I think luckily coming up playing the violin like really taught pretty good pitch um so i feel very thankful for that part of the training kind of coming into um coming into the the lap steel with that and um also you know my hero is jerry douglas he's the one who start, got me started on the dobro and he has very good pitch so i feel like yeah. i kind of grew up listening to um you know one of the best and love love his playing um but the top man I really appreciate you saying that because I've always felt like I struggle so much with timing. <laughs> and, well, you know, the thing is, you know, I mean, like you, you, you're, you, you've grown up anti-fret. You don't want anything to do with a fretted instrument. You're, no. you're anti-fret. Okay. It's like a whole, that's like a whole conspiracy theory. Now you're the anti-fret. Okay. It's like violin. You, if it has frets, you want nothing to do with it. You know, nothing to do with it. You cause, cause it's, cause frets are too easy. You, know, you just press down and go, Hey, I got a C, C natural. Pretty good. You know, but, I don't um, feel very difficult to me. But you know what it is? It's like you have to have an internal um, pitch center, and and you guys, you uh, both of you really do are super impressive because you know not only do you sing super in tune, you play super in tune because you know when you pick up a guitar that's really in tune, you and you you do all the guitar chords that get it in tune, it's perfectly intonated. I can hand it to some people perfectly in tune and they'll figure out a way to make it sound like it's it's weird. You know? And 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 it's just it's just a pitch center. It's a balance. It's like you just have you have to, you know, you have to kind of master it. Rebecca, tell me how you picked because when we first met you said like, yeah, this is my first electric guitar. I just started like like three days ago. You know? And you're up there shredding on this like jazz match. You're like, yeah, I just started like three days ago. I'm like, what? I've been playing 35 years. Like, what, what's going on? I appreciate how liberally you, you use the word shred. And thank you. Be still my heart. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's always an uphill battle. That I'm never quite as good as I want to be. But I think embracing the humanity of where I'm at as a guitarist has been very helpful. And... And not getting a two in my head about it. Because, I mean, especially 
the cruises that you've had us on, for instance, like you walk around that ship and everybody, not just the people on stage, like the majority of the people on that boat could probably like rip a, a solid guitar solo if asked, you know, if someone right. just handed a guitar, you know, it would be slice the cake. And so to figure out, you know, where you fit into that mix, that's been very important for me as a musician. And and also working on my, my discipline with my practicing on the guitar. Right. And, yeah, because Megan, I am very annoyed at her because she is a very intuitive musician. Um, I know that you practice. I don't mean to like to like bring down any of the work that you put in, but Megan definitely has this kind of uh, like this very natural approach to playing, and um, and I feel like I really have to sweat blood and tears to like work on a new a new trick or a new riff or something and then get that to transition from my practice room onto stage like that leap is huge for me and, right. and I realize I'm okay with that you know not all of us can just kind of exude music mm. well yeah there's I know there's some people like you know um you know there, there's some singers that are like that they just they just they just they just open their mouth and it's like oh where did that come from I have to sit here and you know you know pray to the singing gods, um, you know, talk about, you know, I, I always say environment and geographical location have a lot to do with the sound um, mm. of your music. Tell me how important the South is, because you guys, you guys are from Georgia, Calhoun, Georgia. I, I, love, I, love, I love saying, I was saying it all day, Calhoun, Georgia. Um, and, you know, the Mid-Atlantic, the Southeast, and you residents of Nashville now, that whole corridor is steeped in very, very seriously good blues, soul, bluegrass, you name it. It all came, kind of seems to emanate out of the South. And and coming from Utica, New York, I could tell you that none of that was happening when I when I grew up. It was it was it was a lot a lot of Bob Seeger covers, you know, That's which is nothing wrong with it. But you guys were immersed in that in in a in a in a, in a geographical area that produced some of the, the greatest this country's ever produced. Tell me if, how that's affected you. Yeah, I think it's been uh, one of the big keystones of, of who we are as, as artists. And I think it took us a minute to realize it, you know? Having grown up in classical music, I don't think that we had any opportunity to be exposed to bluegrass and roots American music until we hit 13, 14 years old and we went to our first bluegrass festival. And some friends of ours just, hit up our parents and we're like, hey, like, let's take the kids to a bluegrass festival. And we'd never been. And that was a, a real pivotal moment um, to suddenly realize there was this whole scene that you had, you know, heretofore been unexposed to. And whenever we went to that, that bluegrass festival, we really, we really changed tracks pretty drastically. We quit all our classical lessons like the next day. Mm -hmm. And I bought a mandolin, Megan bought a dobro. And suddenly we were, you know, involved in like porch picking parties yeah. and like all of the mountain opries that are all over the South. And that stuff, if you, if you seek it out, um, there's right. some amazing music that's happening kind of up in the hills yeah. that, that suddenly our eyes were open to. So from that point forward, I think we realized that embracing our roots and really digging into the the stories of our family history and the heritage and educating ourselves on the important, the, the cultural significance mm -hmm. of Roots American and blues music. That's, it's been a real life changer mm -hmm. um, in every sense of the word. 
because that's how you got your name. Your was it the great your great 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 grandfather was a distant co cousin of Edgar Allan Poe. That's it's, right. It, how did was that an ancestry.com thing? Or was that a commonly known thing that you you know you know? I mean, I you know, I I'm, I I believe I'm the great grandson uh, of the Lindbergh baby. You know, so. No, I'm just making that up. But I'm, I'm just saying, I'm trying to, you know. It, but you believe it, Joe. It's we not a lie if you believe it. That's the thing. Don't let the fact get in the way of a good story either. That's what I, my dad told us. I used to know an old mob guy, okay, who who just befriended me, okay. He was retired from the mafia. And, he, and, and when I was like 13 years old, he told me how to pass a lie detector test. And and he goes, he goes, come here, kid. Let me, let me, let me show you how to pass a lie detector test. He goes, if somebody's asking you a question that you want to say, you, you want to say no to. Before you answer the question, you ask yourself, is the stop sign green? And then you say no. 13-year-old Joe, oh my yeah, Lord. Yeah. Been armed with you can, from a young age. You can see why I'm a little eccentric. Anyway, um, but you know, one of, one of the things, uh, you know, like your family heritage and growing up in the South, you know, in, in embracing that, you know, that just makes the totality of the story even even better you know because it's because it comes from an authentic place you know we live in a um uh, a, an era of social media and you see some people that are really good at it and some people that are really bad at it like myself who just post guitar after guitar after guitar that's like all i have to say anyway um you guys have pivoted brilliantly in 2020 you know, keeping everything, you know, focused on the music, on your act, on your, on your, your brand. Um, and, and by covering other people's songs, you know, everything, you know, Phil, you did a Phil Collins cover, which I thought was really great. Um, and, you know, was it, but it all comes from an authentic place. So, you know, it's like, so, you know, tell the, the, the budding guitarist or rock stars out there, you know, what's the, what's the thought process behind it? Oh, Yeah. That's a big question. I mean, I do think that being patient with yourself as a human and as an artist and as a musician is really important to allow yourself the time to find the things that do actually resonate with you. Like for instance, we didn't intentionally set out to do the cover video series thinking like, oh, and this will drive our social media and this is gonna be the thing that really helps us sell tickets around the world and like, you know, manipulate, manipulate the thing. It was, it was honestly at its core, like a way for us to practice. And, you know, we were thinking about, okay, how do you get better at guitar? You learn other people's solos, you know, you sit down and you practice and you shred a Jimi Hendrix solo and then you pull up some Eric Clapton and, right. and the same, the same process should apply to songwriting that, you know, as you sit down and you, you scroll inside this piece of music and you look at the lyrics and you look at the chords and how everything works together, then it would inform you as a songwriter. And it's been a huge thing for us over the years. Um, it helped us find our own artistic voice. And because at this point we've done what, like over 120 or something cover yeah. videos. And, wow. and that's 120 songs that we have internalized in some form or, or fashion. And that's really powerful. Um, and, and not only that, but the fact that this is a vehicle for us to connect with people. And yeah. we, we view music as just a really beautiful way to, to bring people together. And these videos allow us to do that kind of on the internet so we can actually go in and just like have direct conversations with people kind of through these videos. And th that's been keeping us sane this year too. Yeah, to have something to do. And I do think it's important. I think social media is, 
is really, really important. And I think that there are, you know, categories of musicians where, you know, we identify as either like being really resentful of social media or really angry at it or like, you know, hearkening back to the era in which artists didn't have to, to do social media. And I think, yes, it's, it's totally fair to feel that way. But also, you know, you're only wasting your own time if you rebel against the way that things are moving into the future. And I think leaning into it and, um, and seeing the positives of social media, being able to see that it, you literally have this community of people who are able to, co to come together, get to know each other, make friendships. And friendships are like the most important thing in life, like the, the human relationships that you share. So like really putting it in its place appropriately and, and seeing, <laughs> seeing it for the good that it can provide, you know, we've really been able to dedicate ourselves to social media and doing it consistently. And yeah, and trying to not be fake with it. And if your truth is posting guitar pictures, I'm all for it. I love this we, stuff you We post. love your social media. You know, I obviously I do run it. Um, <laughs> are you, I, yeah, I do, just nobody can do that. Nobody should do that. Um, one of the things that um, that social media that I found, it, 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 it does create dopamine addicts in the sense that like you post something and I know people who are like this, guitar collectors, whatever, musicians, I know people who are like this. And they, and they go, oh, uh, I, you have to post at a certain time, a certain content, worded a certain way, and they'll sit there and they'll scroll things, see how many people liked it, and then they go to their you know, analytics and they go, oh no, oh no, I have so, you know, 100 people unfollowed me today, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? You know, and, and, and they live and breathe by this, this, this theoretical shot of dopamine that they get in the arm every day by posting these things. And I think that's a slippery slope, and I think it's a dangerous thing, especially for young, impressionable people that that are easily bullied by by by, by trolls and 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 in, in some cases stalkers. Um, tell everybody because I can imagine. I know what I have to go through to just, you know, kind of you know, not get too crazy over the trolls and the stalkers. I mean, you guys must have it at a power of ten. Like you must, you must get some crazy certifiable people that, that contact you on a daily basis looking for something, either marriage proposals or, 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 you know, whatever, trying to pitch you songs. Yeah. I, you know, I think you're absolutely right to, to add that asterisk because I believe it. I mean, use with your own caution, you know, and, and I think it, social media cannot be used, you know, to replace the actual parts of real life that are important. You know, you need to, right. to do things that actually create value in the world and not just post some highlight of what you did for the day. Like, I think also as, a, as an individual, you can also pick who you accept critique from, too. So, sure. like, you shouldn't accept critique from somebody you don't even know if you respect their critique. Yeah. So, But I think, and this is, you know, I'm sure that our fans would not be surprised by this at all, but we have also curated a certain, um, like, persona online because we are very real in, in, our, in our brand as Larkin Poe. Like, we, we allow people to see our sister relationship, to see inside, you know, like, our interactions, and we're giving a lot away to people emotionally. Like, we're very emotionally available. Right. But 
When it comes to posting, I think that we, I mean, and this is not something that we necessarily set out to do, but it has actually been quite a gift is that we don't use social media as individuals. So mm. we're not putting our own individual feelings out there on our sleeve. And right. that is really helpful in having a bit more of the distance to where you can, you know, speak with a certain tone, with a, with a certain amount of detachment, use the right. hashtags and and you're able to communicate and be there with people, but also not be so like just wrapped up in it to where it doesn't feel healthy. Yeah, because you know, I, I I'm assuming that you know somebody posting under the handle like Edgar Allan Lapsteel wants to come in and and you know you know say disparaging things, misogynistic things, you know, and and my my view of it is I operate with one hand tied behind my back. Because I'm a public figure, and if I really wanted, if I really wanted to respond how I really wanted to respond, it, it, I could, I could, I could sink the ship in about three days. Okay, the the thing is, the thing is, you know, being a group in a band, it's, it's a very smart way to do it. You're not posting as individual. You're, it's a united front. Take it or leave it. You know, mm -hmm. and and that's that's a very it's a very astute way of putting it. I've never heard anybody you know put it like that. That's it's very impressive. I wrote down a couple of quotes, or actually some some here here comes here comes the the ego side of the of the interview. A couple of up and coming songwriters, by the way, have sung your praises. Um, a, a guy from New Jersey named Bruce Springsteen, never heard of him. Here's good though, good. And a, a gentleman, I believe he's a member of Parliament, Sir Elton John, have have come to you. Uh, have come out and said, like Sir Elton said, um, was it Holy Ghost Fire was um, kick ass. So now, what do you do with that? That's a very good question because at first blush, like whenever I got the Gmail notification that, you know, right. that we've been tagged in, in Elton John's podcast, for instance. I absolutely like became a puddle of human in my soul because I'm a huge Elton John fan. We oh, both yeah. are. Right. And um, and it was really exciting. But then the, the reality of realizing, right. okay, that means that Elton John has heard our record and and judged it in some. That he's heard it. Even just him hearing it, it it introduced a lot of pressure. Like because I I don't think about and this this is gonna sound super dumb, but like when we make records together, I know that you know in the abstract that people are going to listen to it and and it's going to make them feel a certain way they're going to you know either like or dislike it and that's their prerogative but i don't think about that when we're making records right i feel like we're so lucky to have you know created a very protected environment in our little sphere of lark components that we don't have many outside opinions so it's just kind of us like doing what we want to do and um and I, I love that that's I your thought process. I know. It was just like, well, we like if we like it, then that's probably if we if we're like stoked about releasing it, then it's probably gonna be okay and at least people will hear where we're trying to come from. But um but thinking about about the fact that there are people out there listening and that really brought it all home to me. Um as a songwriter particularly, I felt a lot of pressure from some of those things. I was like, oh man, like what are we gonna write next? Oh my god, I'm like, what do we do? You should you should write a song and title the next record Elton John is a legend. That'll guarantee you that he'll listen to it. See? 
You are smart, smart. dude. <laughs> Crafty like a fox. The, the, the boss is my best friend. And, 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 and Elton John is a, is, is a king among men. You know, I mean, like, they'll, he'll, they'll, they'll, they'll guarantee, you know, that's a guarantee the least play. That's, a, that's, that's a, at least a stream from Sir Elton. Um, so both of you ladies are married to musicians, guitar players. We are. And um, and I historically have um, uh, Rebecca, you're married to Tyler Bryan, who's been on this, who was on this show last week. Um, thank you, Tyler, and the Shakedown. And 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 Megan, you're married, uh, married to Mike Seal from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, a wonderful guitar player. Mm -hmm. And I've historically always, my girlfriends have always been musicians. And I, and I say this just as a, just a, a general question. You know, why are musicians attracted to other musicians? Because I've been looking for Stacy from accounting for about 10 years. And I, and I always end up being attracted to musicians. I don't understand that concept, but, but, but it, it seems to happen time and time again. It's a good question. It's a good question. I mean, we have both many years in the past dated people who weren't in the music industry. And it was actually very awkward um, because I think that people who don't tour or, or make music in the way that we all make music, which it's much more of a lifestyle choice than it is a career path. Right. It's complicated. I mean, I think especially for us as women, like trying to have um, someone who is very supportive of a very non-traditional career path, I feel like we've found that, and vice versa, I think for probably men and women, even though it is a little bit more tricky if everyone's always touring, because in a typical year, we don't see our spouses very much, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's like, that's kind of an occupational hazard. Probably why it works. Yeah, but also there <laughs> We're like, you know, when you get to reunite with someone, that's a lot of fun. You get to actually fun. like properly miss someone in an, in an age where we don't actually miss people that much. Right. Right. So it's a good question. What's wrong with us? There's there's nothing wrong. It's just, it just it's just in this business. It seems like it, you know, it's the same thing with acting. It's like actors and actresses. They, they, there's a lot of fraternization. Ah, that's the word of the day. Of 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 people in 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 careers like that. Yeah. And and it, it's always been historically. I've always wondered what what really makes that work because a lot of times, you know, careers overlap. Um, you know, hey, you stole my guitar strap. These are real fights. You know. And and it's 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 an it's an interesting thing. Maybe it's just human nature, you know. We, I think that as humans, we want to be understood completely. Yeah. And um, somebody who does what you do can understand, you know, the ins and outs, the shared context. Right. But you know, see me in my in my twisted mind, Stacy from accounting. I, I I can make up excuses for for my for my guitar purchases and bad behavior. Be like, oh, you don't understand what it's like to be on the road. <laughs> you don't understand. And then like you know, like a musician, be like bullshit. Blues boy, better you better straighten up. Um, talk to me. Uh, one of the things I've been wanting to, I, I've been asking everybody that's been on the show, is something I've been thinking about a lot. Is what advice would you give to your eighteen-year-old self? Oh, oh, oh. Megan, we'll start with you. 
Oh, my 18-year-old self. Um, I'm very intrigued to hear what you say. I think it would be kind of um, twofold. I think part of it would, would be as far as like our, our relationship goes, like to get rid of the ego, because I feel like the moment that we sort of had kind of a come to Jesus, this was after our 20s in which, you know, the 20s are di- were difficult for us, I think, working together. And early 20s. Like early, early. I'm, I'm still in my 20s. Oh, oh, sorry. Just barely. <laughs> sorry. Um, Shall we mute this? You guys can work it out. We'll come back. I'll, you know, we'll just, back to you. myself and the audience, we'll just be over here. We'll, we'll grab a beer and we'll, we'll, we'll get <laughs> But I think in, in working together, like, when we've gotten rid of our egos, like, the best song wins. Like, it's not about your idea having to win, mm. um, you having to get your way, or you have no value value in a relationship, like, when you can get rid of that. I think um, you can just make so much more progress, and it's, and it's good progress. So I think I would say that, like, just try to get rid of your ego. And um, then, too, also to try not to compare myself to other people, especially, like, the way that I play. I thought if I didn't kind of didn't sound like Jerry Douglas or didn't sound like David Lindley that that I wasn't a great player, but maybe just sort of like letting yourself be what you are and, right. and not so much about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that makes sense because, you know, I realized long ago I'll, ne- I'll, I'll never be Eric Clapton, so stop trying. Just be Joe Bonamassa. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's so much exactly. easier said than done. I think the advice that I would give to 18-year-old me is probably pretty much the advice that I would give to 29-year-old me, which is don't be afraid to occupy space. Like, do what you do and do it loudly. Um, and I don't know if it's just, you know, what we train girls with, like, saying yes and being a people pleaser and, like, going with the flow and I don't know. Learning how to have your own backbone and stand up and be and be loud in what you believe to be true, mm-hmm. be that you know the structure of a song or, God damn it, if you're gonna play a wrong chord, play it twice and you know and you meant to make the mistake. Like that attitude is something that I I think is sorely lacking in, you know, a lot of a lot of bands and and I I would like to embody that a bit more. Yeah, it's it it, it you know it's it is and it's it's. You you know it's 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 a fine line because I think looking back now I'll be 44 in May um, now I'm really knocking on the door of my mid 40s okay this is it this is the last this is it it's all downhill from here right we're just we're just off the cliff it's like it's like Thelma and Louise it's like I'm I'm like you know right before the GTO you know it's like anyway anyway. The, the way I the way I would describe it, one of one of the things I regret the most, as a as an eighteen or twenty year old or whatever, how competitive I was. Ah. And because when I when when somebody comes up to me now and they said, "Hey, man, I, I met you in like you know, nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. You we did some festival together." And I first question it, and and I I do it as a joke. It's a bit, but I'm serious. I go, "Was I nice?" You know, and 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 it's a concern for me, and it's a regret. It's a real regret. But half of me says that is a character flaw, but the other half of me says, if I wasn't so competitive, would you and I be having this conversation? 
So it's a theory in reality. It's something you can't change, but it's something that I'm not sure I would tell that 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 young kid with a full hairline, you know, when he was 20 years old, to do anything differently because you all end we all end up here somehow, yeah. you know, and it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult road to navigate because there are no rules. Everybody's ascension to stardom is different. This is so true. And also you're right. You can't you can't change the way that anything unfolded and if you did, you know, who's to say it would be right? Because the way things are unfolding is is you believe in fate or destiny. It's kind of a moot point because it's happening as it's happening. And so what's meant to happen is what's happening at the moment. But also I think maybe what I would say is the biggest gift that you could give to somebody younger is actually being able to learn how to take advice because now I'm able to like open my ears to everyone's opinion. And I don't think I was able to do that really when I was 18 years old where somebody would say like, Hey, you know, you should really, you know, get this certain car insurance. And it's like, "Ah, I'm going to do what I want. And then, and then you get burned by situations by not being able to take advice from people. And, And that is a wide broad brush, like, Learn how to take advice. If you could figure that out at a younger age, you probably, you know, maybe you would, uh, you'd get your soul a little further along the karmic journey. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like when you're 20 years old or 21 years old, you know, there's always going to be somebody who comes in there and in, in the business, in the music business, at mm-hmm. your expense, making themselves look look good. And I always call it Pontificus Maximus. And they'll sit there and tell you blah, 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 blah. And, and then about three sentences in, that's all it sounds like to me. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you're just saying, you know, you know, you know, and you're, you're, you're a lawyer who who is now an A&R guy who, who has... 600 records in his collection and that's how you got this gig i i don't believe you and most of these people are not in the business anymore. talk to talk to just a, a few words about navigating the music business because you guys got the music sorted out and a lot of people don't realize the second word makes or breaks a lot of a lot of acts and, and again my hat's off to you for your model and, and everything you've done to to navigate through this 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 music business you know few words megan just about like how you deal with that on a day-to-day basis and any advice you would give to anybody in the game that's struggling on the business side oh we are um huge do-it-yourselfers um so i think that in the past few years that's really made all the difference for us is really um taking the reins of of the business sides, which for us is like, you know, producing our own music, like running our own record label. And hey, you know a whole lot about that. Um, so I'm Johnny Corporate. I, I, you know, I'm Johnny Corporate. I, I can't get enough of that that corporate lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've been I'm so- rogue. I don't I don't have a chip on my shoulder about that shit at, at all. Well, we've certainly admired what what, what you've done. So um, kind of take some of that on board for mm-hmm. ourselves as well. Just kind of, um, you know, the two of us being kind of a strong team and then surrounding ourselves with people who, who believe that we can and um, are willing to kind of follow whatever wild hair that we have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. But the thing is, you know, about about doing it yourself you are able to pivot back when you see the mistake coming. If the record company or the major label makes a mistake for you, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna drive it into the wall and then blame you anyway, and then charge you some sort of Shylock rate for the money they spent in doing it. It's 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 really it's it's a lovely business, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Listen, come in ads. 
Okay, I, I won't be there half the year. We'll do we'll, we'll do we'll do like a, a Joe B. We'll do a Nerdville, Lark and Poe Shakedown, Antique Mall. Everybody has a kiosk, you know. <laughs> like everybody has a little specialty. Like you know, they have the tchotchke ones, and then the, the guy who deals in vintage toys and 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 set up shop in Wyoming. This 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 is the best thing I've come up with in all of this year. And we're only fourteen days. The, I'm gonna do blow modes for it. You know, like the the, the real vintage um, holiday decorations. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have just a just the mecca of all blow molds. Yeah, yeah, humble figurines. You know, you know the the, the Franklin Mint. This is gold. <laughs> Ladies, I cannot thank you enough for being here. Um, I have the utmost respect for your band and your music and you as people. And uh, continued success uh, in 2021. Would tell tell the folks uh, if if you guys are planning on on trying to play for humanoids anytime this year, and if so, when and where? Yes, we are intending to get back on the road. We have a tour that's been rescheduled twice at this point, and it's now clocking in for fall of 2021 across Europe. And, we've uh, got we've got spatterings of shows throughout the year, so we'll we'll see if they if they stick or not. But we're really fingers crossed that this um, European tour will will stay on the books. I think you got a good shot later on this year. I think once they once everybody gets the shot in the arm, can't can't last like this forever. So, I know yeah. optimism. And Joe, thanks for having us on, and thanks for building such a cool platform where you can you know give give eyes and ears on. Artists like us, it means it means a lot to all of us. Thank you. I, I you know, I, I do what I can. And and like I said at, at the very beginning, all I do is sit in this blue chair all day long <laughs> waiting for somebody to randomly call me on Skype because I'm lonely I'm by myself. I'm isolated. I'm becoming strange. And, 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 and I need I need an intervention. Ladies and gentlemen, Larkin Poe. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Megan. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Joe Bonamassa. And you've been watching live from Nerdville.